Hi, and welcome to Steve Wraith's True Crime Podcast. You can also follow my podcasts on YouTube. Just search Steve Wraith and click subscribe. Welcome along to Steve Wraith's True Crime Podcast. Got a very special guest today, a good friend of mine, Joe Pyle. How are you? I'm good, Steve. Not too bad, mate. Not good. too bad. Thanks for coming on, mate, and I uh, hope uh, you know you and the family have coped all right with this lockdown period. It's been a bit of a nightmare for everybody. Yeah, well, you know, it is what it is, isn't it, mate? You know what I mean? But you know, I've been on a few lockdowns before, so you know, <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't too bad, mate. Uh, it's, at least this time I've got a telly and I can go to the supermarket when I want, you know what I mean? So it ain't too bad, mate. Have a few beers. Let's go back and start, mate. I mean, we've known each other, like, worked it out the other day, over 25 years now. And, um, you know, we've been through some, some great times together, some, you know, some great nights. And, um, but let's, let's go back to the start, mate. And where were you born? Tell us a little bit about your, your background and, and growing up. Uh, I was born in London. I was born in uh, Merton. And that's over, well, I was brought up in Merton as a young kid. I was always back and forward from Islington. Sometimes you know, depending on, uh, um, you know, a lot, a lot of times when I was a kid, I was visiting my dad. If you know what I mean, yeah. you know what I mean. So, um, you know, so there were certain times I was, I was living at my nan's with my mum and, and other places and stuff. So, uh, but ma- mainly South London, Merton, around that way. And uh, you know, they were good days. They were good days. And. Uh, you know, a bit nostalgia when you think about what the kids doing doing today and what we used to do. It's like it's like they're like aliens today. It's the truth. You know, some of the differences, isn't it? And, you know, I was watching a TV program the other night, following up about the seventies, and I had a bloody hell did they put? Uh, oh, there's someone. How you going? All right. I'm just doing the interview. <laughs> hey, so um, you know, ask some of the stuff what they put on on TV in the seventies. Yeah, was uh, oh, you know, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even get on one, two o'clock in the morning now, you know what I mean? But, but you know, I'd have a good day, Steve. Have a good yeah. day, enjoyed, enjoyed myself. I can't complain, you know what I mean? For those people watching and who haven't made the connection yet, of course, your dad was Joe Pyle, um, one of the most respected men, if not the most respected man in London back in the sixties. I would say that him and Freddie Foreman were probably uh, the two people who who were the glue who kept everything else together. You know, they were, they were good at what they did. Um, you know, they, they were both very well respected. And essentially, you know, they both served a bit of time. And as you've just said there, when you were a youngster, your dad was, you know, was sometimes away. Did, did, you, did you know where your dad was? Did you think he was, did your mum protect you? Did she say that you, he was on holiday? Or did you know that he was in prison? No, I, I, I always knew, Steve. I always knew. Uh... You know, I remember in them days when, when he was in Brixton, you know, the mums and that used to take, uh, uh, you know, the wives and mums used to take their Sunday dinner up in silver foil. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the earliest memories I can have, there was like my dad, my uncles, my granddad, about 20 of his mates, all in the bloody visiting room. You know, so, and I, I think they actually arrested 55 of my dad's mates. All at one time, they was all on remand. The fucking in, in 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 Brixton. So, you, you, you know, it was. I definitely knew it wasn't. You know, it wasn't hid. And my house was always different from my pals' houses. And like, uh, you, you know, is my dad was always out, but he'd come back. You know, he'd come back 
Friday night, one o'clock in the morning, 10 mates, they'd sit there, put, put a card table up, play cards. In the front garden, there'd be bloody Rolls Royces, there'd be E-type Jags, there'd be Maseratis, there'd be, <laughs> you know. And these were all big men. You, you know, even at that age, I was looking at him and I thought, well, he ain't a school teacher. And, you know, that guy's not, a, he don't work behind the bank. You know, they were all big guys. And, and, and in the 70s then, they were big sideburns and flares and, you know, and it was, it, it, it was, you know, it was good experience, you know, experience, good times, you know, when, when he was out, it was always good. It yeah. was. And, and, you know, and then there was other times when I was at school, when I was a kid, you remember when you had your pen pals, I don't know if you've done it up in Newcastle, but you had pen pals and they come to stay with us and then we went to stay with them. Yeah. I was about eight, nine years of age and I uh, got called into the headmaster's uh, thing, Bob, and, uh, and they said, we've decided that your pen pal can't come and stay with you. So I was like, why? You, you, you know, and then they called me mum in. And it was all to do with my dad's reputation and, and everything else. You, you, you know, it was a big argument, you, you know, and it was like, you know, well, why, you, you know, what's my son got to do with it? Is his pin pen pal? You, you know, what, what do you think we're going to do to the kid? We're gonna, you know, he's going to get eaten or something, you know. Ultimately, the kid did come and stay with us. But it, do you know what I mean? It's from them early age, that early age, I knew there was, you, you know, there was always something there, you know. What were you like at school, Joe? Um, were you a scholar? Were you, were you somebody who stuck in? Did you find schoolwork easy? I, me mum and dad educated me quite a lot. Uh, I wasn't brilliant at maths and English or nothing like that. I loved school because of the sport. I think I was one of the only kids, I was in every single school team, you know, I was in the football, the rugby, the cricket. Yeah. You know, even the chess, I was captain of the chess team, believe it or not. You know, what I mean? you know, badminton team, I was in ping pong team, swimming team, you know, every single sports team I was in. And so I loved, I loved school for that. But then when we, what they called high school, we, we had two, we had, well, we had primary school, middle school and high school back in them days. And then when you get to uh, turn your teenage years, you go to high school. And that's when, you know, you're getting a bit older and there's girls and there's, and you start mucking about and then I got thrown out of that school. And then I started hopping a wag, you know, just started, my mates were older than me, so they were 16, 17, I started hanging about with them not going to school. So I left school on my 16th birthday. The day I turned 16 in January, I went, that's it, I'm not going to school. And I've never done an exam, never done one exam, never done nothing, but... You know, but you know, you just learn to get by, don't you? You learn yeah. how to get by with it. Did you have an idea at sixteen what you wanted to do? I mean, nowadays you have to take your options. You know, when you when you're eleven or twelve, you have to have a clear idea of what you want to do. Did you know what you wanted to do? Yeah, I wanted to be an astronaut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you know, Steve. Um, I'll be honest. When I was fifteen, sixteen, I was getting a few quid. Yeah. I was doing this and I was doing that. Um, in them days, like, you, you didn't have so much credit cards or nothing. Everything was about cash. You, you know, I, I remember, you know, when I was, like, 13, 14, I don't know if you can remember this, really, you're a little bit younger than me, but, uh, you know, if you wanted a, a, I remember there was a big, you know, what they called big radio thing, what you carry around on your shoulder, everyone used to walk around and stand on the street corners. Ghetto blaster. That's it, ghetto blaster. But, you, you know, and... Um, in them days, you could go into shops and go, like, I want to put £20 down and come in the next week and put another tenner down. Yeah. And my dad, my dad was away and and, and, like, and I was getting a couple of quid. And 
and my mum was working in Tooting Market, and so like you know, it took me about a month to get the to get the gallo blaster. So, so in them days, I thought to myself, you know, there was there was no chance of me going in there and getting, you know, oh, do you want it on credit, sir? And you know, that, that ain't gonna happen in them days. So, you know, that was what we did, and then I started doing bits and bobs. You know, I was ducking and diving here and there, and I was earning a nice few quid, and so. And my mum used to go to my dad, yeah, what's he going to do when he gets older? And my dad was more laid back. He'd go, well, he's all right. He'll find his feet. He'll find something. You know what I mean? Don't rush him. And, you know, there was a few roads I should have took, which I didn't take. But, you know, I can't complain. Can't complain, mate, you know. Is it fair to say you were probably the apple of your dad's eye, especially with you carrying the name on? My mum tells me my dad, you know, and I know he did, he did love me. And, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a special relationship, me and my dad. You, you know, because you, you know, I've got an older brother, you know, Steve. Yeah. Tony, and um, Tony couldn't hack it. Do you know what I mean? Tony, Tony, you know, he he, he wasn't from my mum; he was from someone else. And then he come back into our lives, and then when my dad got nicked, he disappeared again. And it, and it was a lot of pressure. Yeah. It, you know, it was, it, and and Tony just went. And years later, I said to my dad, you know, you know, I said, I found where Tony's living, and my dad went, well. I don't want to see him, Joe. And I went, Dad, he's your son. I said, he's your boy. You know what I mean? I said, you, you know, I'd like to see him again. He's my brother, my blood brother. And my dad went, look, I've only got one son, Joe. That's you. So, you know what I mean? He, you know, he, he said, you're my boy. He said, you're, you're the one who's stuck with me all the time. You, you know what I mean? You've gone through it all with me. He said, he's, you know, to use his words, he, he said, you know, bollocks to him. You know what I mean? And so my dad, dad had a little bit of an hard side with him like that. Where me, I was more like, you know, let's give him a chance. Yeah. But me, but me, but I, was, I don't know, maybe they did give him a chance, which I don't know about. Yeah. But um, no, we did have a lot of good times. And, you know, there's a lot of things me and my dad done, which obviously I can never talk about, which made us very close, you know. First, um, bit, of, first bit of villainy, Joe. I mean, were you, were you winded bits and bobs? You see, you did a little bit of work. Anything that obviously you can talk about, of course, were, you know, were you, were you up to stuff at that, that age, 16, 17? Yeah, you know, bits and bobs. Funny enough, when I when when I was a kid in bloody middle school, I, I me we got called in for me running protection rackets in school. Mm -hmm. So, but it wasn't really that. It was, uh, you know, there was certain kids there who was getting bullied for their pocket money and stuff like that, and I was looking after them, and they were giving me money, and then I fell out with one kid and ended up in a little bit of a fisty cuss, and and I got reported to the headmaster, and. Uh, Get master come in, and next thing I know, I'm demanding money off of everyone. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> At school, and I'm like, no, it weren't that way. It really wasn't that way. You know, I don't know. You know, a lot of people think of protection rackets, and I went, you know, ninety percent of protection rackets, people invite you to pay the money. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not. You know, you do get a few people who stick it on people, but a lot of the time, they're people vulnerable people who do want to be looked after, and they're willing to put their hand in the pocket for it. Mm -hmm. So, but that was my earliest thing, and then, um, you know, and then got into little bits and bobs. You know, I think my first arrest was uh, deception of fraud, mm -hmm. silly thing, going into a shop and nicking a shirt, putting it in a bag, and then walking back in and saying, I've, I've brought this shirt, and uh, can I have my money back? Got no receipt, you know, I mean, Putney High Street. And I was about 15, I got nicked for that. Next thing I know, old Bill's walked in the door and they nicked me, and then, uh, and then just have a little bits and bobs, ABH is here, and mucking about you know what I mean just with the lads yeah. yeah 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 
What did it feel like getting arrested? I mean, did it did it deter you? Was it something you, were you worried? Were you concerned? What your mum and dad were, were, were going to think? Or you know, what did I it was look- I, I couldn't care. You know, I'd been giving monkeys about the old bill. You know, I never cared about. Them. I knew, I was used to trampling through my house since I was an early kid. Mm-hmm. And, and running in and turning floorboards up and down and everything else. And I, I was more worried about what my dad would say. And and it was funny, I got nicked and, and I was, fucking hell, bro. I thought the old man's going to go mad. So when they put me in the cell, I ripped all my top up. I ripped all my top up. I'm fucking sitting there and I'm scratching my head. I'm doing all scratches on my neck and all that. And then I was under 16, so the old man had to come. So when they've opened the cell door, my dad's there. I've got all blood on my head, all <laughs> fucking, all stuff. I, I said, all right, Dad, I said, that bastard beat me up. <laughs> so, look, the, the cop has gone like that, you, you, you know, and I thought myself, that way, I, I know the old man would be more angry at the copper than he is at me, do you know what I mean? So I've walked out all like that. The copper never put a fucking finger on me. And then I come out, and then they said, right, and, you know, and they said, uh, do you want to press charges on the cop? I went, no, I ain't grassing, no one. You know, and then, uh, and it was funny. It was the first, then there was another time, and it, it was like my dad sat there, and and they're reading the caution out of me, and my dad was cunning, and and as they've gone like you, you know, you you've got the right to remain silent, blah blah blah, and then days really big difference. So the old man went, "Have you got that, Joe? Do you understand what he's saying? He says you have the right to remain silent. Do you understand? Do you, do you know what I mean? But he done it cunning. Like, but I got it straight away, and, yeah. and I've never made a statement in my life. And, you know, I've been nicked quite a few times, been lucky, quite a few trials. And, uh, but, you, you know, you know, they nick me, I don't even say my name and all that no comment bollocks, I don't say that. I just sit there and just, just you know, literally just as they're interviewing me, I just go like, try and get asleep. You know what I mean? So. Obviously, your dad was very well connected in the London underworld. Um, already mentioned he was well connected to the likes of Freddie Foreman, but he was also connected to... The Cray Twins, and obviously the Cray Twins, um, probably the UK's most notorious gangsters, um, you know, the way they looked, the, you know, they were photographed by David Bailey, obviously, in the 1960s, they were twins, mm. very unique, but your dad knew them, he had a relationship with them, and when they were lifed off in 1969, um, your dad kept in close contact with them, so that obviously led to you getting to know the Cray Twins and visiting the Cray Twins. What was that experience like? Uh, at the time, it didn't really mean that much to me, Steve, because I was young. You know, you know how I was uh, when, you know, I suppose I first started. So when did Ronnie go to Broadmoor? You'll probably know more than, better than me. Yeah, he moved there in 1979. Yeah, so I'm, I probably started visiting him when early 80s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mid-80s, mid-80s. So how old would I have been? You know what I mean? 17, 18 type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course I knew Ronnie Cray was, and uh, but it, it wasn't. It was a funny thing as well because I've seen over the years living with my dad, I saw so many Ronnie Crays. Do you know what I mean? You, you know, Roy Shaw was always at my house. You know, Mad Ronnie Fry was always at my house. You know, Freddie. You, you, you know, so many people was always at the house. So it was like, and in my book, you know, when you're that age as well, you, you, you know, the, my superhero uh, was my dad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Everyone else was his mates, but he, you know, in my book, he he, he was the number one. Uh, Ronnie, and the funny, and I was talking about him last night. I said, uh, he, you know, he was a funny character. Right? He, he was a. Uh, you remember at Broadmoor, you used to have that frosted glass, uh, when you sit in the in the in the in the, uh, 
in the hall where, where, where Ronnie visits and there's a frosted glass bit. And you used to see Ronnie, you see that walk bouncing on the other side of the frosted glass when he's on the way to the meeting. And then they turn in the door and he was always immaculate. He was always suited, always booted, always an anky, you know. I used to sit there and drink that, uh, what was it, alcoholic, non-alcoholic beer? Calabar. Calabar, he used to sit there and drink them, have two drags on a fag and stub it out and lighten up one up, you know. And, uh, you know, some days, some weeks, I must have seen Ronnie every day. You know, it was it was like every bloody day. And I used to take my mates up there. I used to go to them like, you know, do you want to come and see Ronnie? And some some local kids around the area. And I was all like going back and telling their dads I'd been to see Ronnie Cray and all that, you know. And Ronnie used to give me running little errands, you know yourself. He's, he's, I always say he was the best asker in the world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He was fantastic at asking a favour. You couldn't turn him down, you know what I mean? The way he put it us, you know, you know go, Joe, Joe, can you do me a favour? Can you do me a favour, please? And they say, yeah, all right, man. Now, I'm going to be running about for two days now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I, I was laughing as well, funny enough, because with the books brought back a lot of memories. Yeah. And uh, I was talking about poor old Charlie. And uh, Charlie suffered because of the twins all his life. Do you know what I mean? But he, he had a good life because because of them. Yeah, you know, he was like, the, you know, when we used to go drinking with the Blue Orchid on a Friday night, he was like a superstar down there. Mm-hmm. You know, could pull every bird in the gaff if he wanted to. You know what I mean? But, but he was, um, but he did get haunted by. He, he, he did suffer because of the twins. You know, you know, and I remember, I remember, you know, going up there, and you know, this lasted for weeks. And Ronnie going, Joe, have you spoke to X? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, you know, then I'm going home, and my mum's going like, Joey, Ronnie's on the phone. And I'm going, oh, I've, I've literally just got him from the visit. And, you know, Ronnie, Joe, have you spoke to X? Tell him. And I'm going, Ronnie, why don't you talk to him, mate? Went, no, me and me and Reg are never talking to him again. He can, no way, no way, we, we don't want to hear you. Know I mean, it was bonkers they were sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Ronnie was a one-off, wasn't he? I mean, as you say, you, you would go to Broadmoor, um, old Victorian uh, hospital, of course, uh, in, in Crowthorne in Berkshire. And I think it was just the whole, the whole thing. I mean, you would have got used to it by, you know, sometimes going once a day. I used to go down maybe you know, once a month for a period of a couple of years. And it was, it was bizarre just to, just to walk through that, the corridors. And, and sometimes see some of the yeah. other people in there, obviously the likes of Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper were in there and he would be on visit. Mm-hmm. It was a bit surreal, wasn't it, going in, going into that, going to that place? But I think Ron, yeah. Ron was happy in there because he, he was, you know, he, he wasn't in prison, he wasn't in jail. It was almost like he was living the life of Riley, drinking his caliber and smoking his John Player specials. Oh no, yeah, yeah, you know he was, you know, you know, with there as well. He had Charlie Smith around him all the time. Mm-hmm. Charlie used to look after Ronnie in there. Do you know what I mean? And and. Uh, and but, but you're right, you, you know, Broadway, like sometimes twice a day I'd be there because obviously it had the hospital visiting rules, didn't it? You, you know, sometimes I'd be there in the morning and be back in the afternoon. Yeah. You know, if he, if he asked me to do a couple of favours for him. And then, uh, but he did, he, you know, some of the people in there in the waiting room, you looked at them and they were like, they were in a right state. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you'd see Ronnie and you could see he's got things on his mind. Yeah. But other times, it, it seemed normal. Apart from the fags and the other bit, it seemed normal. We'd be sitting there and always look clean, always presentable. His nails were always perfect, you know what I mean? And it's not what people expect someone in a nut house to be. You know, it, you know, he, he, he looked like a bloody businessman sitting in there. He did. Yeah. You mentioned Roy Shaw. 
um, which obviously, you know, is, is a big part of, again, a big part of your dad's life because anyone who follows unlicensed boxing will have heard of, you know, Roy Shaw <coughs> and McLean, the, the battle for the, for the governor title. So tell us a little bit about Roy and, and, and your memories of Roy Shaw. Roy's always been in my life. He's always been in my life, ever since I was a kid. Always, uh, you know, even when you're a kid, you can see, you can see there's, there's menace attached to him, do you know what I mean? Um, you know, one of the earliest memories I remember, I remember, uh, you know, my dad had a restaurant with Peter Tilly and a couple of other guys up in Stockwell. And the old Bill wouldn't let him have the license. They said it was going to be a haven for villains. So, I mean, it was a great big, massive big restaurant. It was like the biggest one in, in, in the era. And I was there with my dad one afternoon. I was only young, I must have been in my teens. And then uh, Roy's walked in, he's got a bit of a mark down the side of his face. And my dad's like to him, like, well, what's my son? I went out a fucking row with him down a pub. I mean, we know. So, and my dad said, well, what, what, what? And he's asking him right out. And Roy, he, Roy said, no, I, I went by the row with someone. So I went back there a couple of nights later. He said, you know, he said there was four of them in there. I just steamed into them, John. And Dad was, well, how'd you get on? He went, yeah, I've done them, I've done them, but, you know, I've took a few, I took a few, you know what I mean? And my dad, said, my dad was like, well, fuck's sake, boy, why don't you call me? Why don't you give me a ring, you know what I mean? Give me a ring, we'll come with you, we, you know, well, I'll go with you, you know what I mean? And Roy went, no, it's all right, Joe. He said, you know what I'm like, I prefer to fight on my own, he said, because when I'm fighting on my own, I haven't got to worry about my mates. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know, and that was him, you know. And it was the first time I heard something like that, and it clicked it in my head, and then, and, and, you know, and I actually got into when when the, the same situations a few times when I was a kid and I was go, I had to go and have fights with people. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to do it on my own. I'll just walk into the pub on my own because I haven't got a. I wonder if my mates are okay over there or my mates getting a clump or you know, I just walk in, do what I've got to do and get out. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it was like you, you know you could see that before. You know he, he meant it. And my dad was like, Fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But he, he was he, he was dangerous. Right? He was dangerous. Did your, dad, did your dad talk a lot about those fights? I mean, they the go down in history. I mean, people still talk to them, talk about them today. There's been a film made now, of course, um, about Lenny McLean, which mm. uh, you know, which you know, covers covers that particular era. There's there's always talk about a film uh, being made about Roy's life. So you know, they made such a mark on on you know unlicensed boxing history that um, you know that they'll be forever remembered. Did your dad speak a lot about them? Because him and Alex Steen were were at the forefront of those shows. Mm. Uh, didn't really talk that much about him, the old man. The old man didn't really talk much about things, do you know what I mean? He, he talked about what was going on now and tomorrow. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't one of them fellas with dad would sit there and go, oh, John, start telling, going back into memory lane. He wasn't that way. You know, we'd sit in the pub and we're more like, you know, if you asked him a question, he'd tell you. But, uh, but like, we, we, but remember, I was at all them fights. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I was at all the, all the Roy fights, every single one. What's your, memory, uh, uh, what's your memory of them, Joe? Tell us your memories of them. I was very, very young, 10, 11 years of age, you know what I mean? And, uh, uh, you know, everything was a bit of a blur. I, I remember, I remember uh, the second fight uh, against Lenny, when Lenny won. And, uh, and I was standing there with my Uncle Ted and Roy's boy, Gary. And, uh, and when Roy started going down, Gary tried to throw a glass into the ring. I mean, at Lenny, and uh, he got stopped, and poor Gary was crying his eyes out, you know what I mean? And I was standing like that. 
And then um, I think there was a few seconds in the first round, and I remember my dad, you know, shouting at the fuck even the timekeeper was there. And my dad, bring, bring the fucking bell. Do you know what I mean? You know, stage boy about 10, 15 seconds. Bring the fucking bell now. You know what I mean? Ding, ding, ding. The round, heard, the round fucking ended like 10, 15 seconds early. Then the second round came out, but boy, he was gone. He was, he was fucking, you know what I mean? He, was, he, he didn't recover from the knockdown in the first. Uh, the third fight, uh, you, you know, it was, then there was a funny atmosphere. The funny atmosphere. I could see my dad didn't look, Roy didn't look right at the rainbow. Uh, it was all set up for Lenny, really, the fight was. And, um, you, you, you know, and there's a few little things I know about that which I won't, I haven't said about, you know what I mean? But, but uh, you know, Lenny beat him, you know, Lenny beat him fair square, you know what I mean? And, uh, but it, 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 I did, there was a strange atmosphere in Roy's dressing room that night. You know, there really was. It, it weren't the usual, the usual atmosphere where you, 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 you know, with boys, boys pacing about, and he was, and then he was sitting down, and he looked withdrawn in his face, like his thinking. Do you know what I mean? And um, you know, I think Lenny got into Roy's head. Yeah, I think he really got into Roy's head, and um, more than any other fighter. And and and, and you know. You know, Lenny sussed it out through, through the help of, uh, oh, what's his bloody name? Uh, his trainer, Frank. Was it Frank? Uh, started training him. Right, I can't remember who that was. Yeah, I've can't. I mean, mine's gone now. I mean, but, uh, but like, you know, when, when he trained Lenny to start grabbing Roy behind the head with his left hand. Yeah. And you watch Lenny, grab, he's grabbing Lenny, and when Roy's coming in, he's pulling Roy's head down. So he's pulling him down, and Lenny's hitting him with the right hand. If it was in a pro show, that'd be the ref would go bomb. You can't do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the unlicensed, but you, you know, Muhammad Ali done it for years, but he was Muhammad Ali. But it, it's like if you're fighting someone, every time you get close, you've got someone putting your fucking head down like that and hitting you with a right up, right shot. You, you don't know where the shot's coming from. Yeah. And, you know, all fair, a fair play to Lenny. I suppose if Roy could have, would have done it to him, he would have done it that way round. But, you know, Lenny, they, they sussed out what to do. It worked the first fight when he beat him, second fight, rather. And 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 the third fight, we just caught Roy cold and that was boss. That was it, wasn't it? He never recovered from that shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing times and anybody, anybody wants to watch them, they, of course, are mm. available on uh, YouTube. Is that why you got your taste for, for boxing and... and and, and the running of the show because I know what it's like when you go to boxing as a kid you, you see all these people there you see what's going on in the ring I think you were a bit like me you saw everyone running around you saw the money you probably wanted a piece of it is that why you got the taste for it? Well I was because of boxing's always been in my family and dad yeah. was a pro fighter uh, you know I had a pair of boxing gloves on my pram you know what I mean where people put on their car mirrors I had them on my pram <laughs> It was a funny story as well. It was Terry Downs who won the world title. Yeah. And uh, and it, it, my dad were like that. And uh, when he when he boxed Paul Pender and uh, and he won the world title and uh, he had a pair of gloves. And his wife was going to give birth at the same time as what my mum was. And my dad wanted the gloves. So Terry told me, my dad, yeah, Terry told me and said, my dad, look, whoever has the baby first, my wife or, or yours, will get the gloves. And I come a few days before, do you know what I mean? So I ended up with a world title gloves with Paul Pender. And, uh, 
And over the years, they, were, they, they had all said, that's how old the gloves were, do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I've gutted now, I lost them. And, you know, things happened and I lost a lot of stuff when, with houses uh, and stuff. But, uh, you know, that, then I was boxing. I went into boxing, and, you know, plus I was always, I was always doing sports and I, I liked it. Uh, the promotion side of it wasn't, it was quite late to tell the truth. Right. It was, uh, we were sitting there and um, I just, I've been banged up on something. And, I, I was, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden we was having a chat with my dad in the Red Lion pub, Uncle Ted. And, we, and uh, my dad said, why don't you, why don't you be, become a promoter, Joe? You know, and I, I said, ah, fucking bald ain't going to give me a license, are they? And he said, well, try it. So, you know, we got talking about it. He said, you know, because Greg Steen, his good mate, Alex, Alex Steen's son, was a promoter and manager. And my dad's words, he said, look, become a promoter. It makes you someone. You become someone, Joe. Do you know what I mean? Which I've seen over the years as well. You, 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 know, you, you know, you're not just a, a fucking, do you know what I mean, in the life. You, you become someone outside the life, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so we done it. And then I found out Harry Holland. Harry gave me the number of the board. And, and that was it. Applied for it. Got slaughtered on the first meeting. Didn't have a clue what to say. And then, and then Robert Smith turned around and went, look, I'll tell you what we do. Give me the book. So go home, come back in four weeks' time, and, and we'll, we'll try again. And went back four weeks' time past. And uh, I was the youngest ever promoting it to ever get my license. So, how did you, you know, find, how did you find the pro game? I like the pro game. The pro the pro uh, professional game is you always got to go somewhere with that if you if you're successful. You, you know, you, there's a limit where you can go on unlicensed boxing in there. Do you know what I mean? You're never, you're, you're never going to be a, a, a million pound show on unlicensed boxing. Never in a million years. You know what I mean? But on the professionals, you can. I liked it. You, you know, I met some good people. Was working. Uh, I took to it well. Put on some good shows. But the red tape done me up, Steve. In the end, it was the red tape. It was driving me up the wall. You, you, you know, uh, and what done it for me was. Uh, it, it was, uh, we had a dinner show at the Marriott Hotel and uh, and I told the Marriott Hotel, I said, do not give anyone tabs because I'm not going to be responsible for it because I've, I've gone down that road before people having tabs and they're fucking off at 12 o'clock at night and leaving a six, seven hundred pound bill on the table. I said, I've told them not to do that. And then also as well, we had some auction items and, um, and two of the auction items went missing under their supervision. And then they'd give me the bills for two tabs. So I've, I've had a steward's room. I said, look, I said, I told you that. I said, there's that money what I owe you, minus the two tabs for the bar. But they went to the board. And they went to the board, and the board phoned me up and went, you got a bill, Owen. I went, no, I ain't got a bill, Owen. I said, I'm in dispute with them. I said, I've actually got my solicitor on it at the moment. I'm not paying them. I've told them. I've actually got it written down in an email. I was saying no tabs. And uh, <clears throat> we had another show planned. And we've got tickets printed up and everything else at the Equinox, Leicester Square. And then I get, I get a phone call from Robert, uh, Simon Block. And he goes, Joe, I've had to pull that show. You can't run with it. And I'm like, what? And he went, you can't run with it until you settle up with a Marriott. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm in dispute with a fucking Marriott. I said, no, you're not letting me put... I said, yeah, you, I'll, I'll be slaughtered. So I had to pay the Marriott money, which I didn't know them, for me to go ahead with my next show. And that just dumbed me up, really. Do you know what I mean, Steve? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it wasn't right. 
Yeah, it's the red tape that does your head in. So you, you went back to, well, you went into the unlicensed and, and obviously, you know, your, your family has that history with, with Roy Shaw and, and, and Lenny McLean and the governor title in, in particular. Um, so tell us about going into unlicensed and, and what the difference was. Well, it was, uh, Ricky, Ricky was doing it at the time. Ricky English was running a few shows. He had his own gym over Watford. Me and Ricky grew up together. And, um, and so he come back and then he knew, he, then I was promoting pro shows at Caesars in South London then. So he knew I had that venue. And then we got talking and the first show we done, I put a couple of old fighters that used to box with me in the pros on it. And it was a fucking good laugh. It was, you know, we've, we've done what we wanted to do. Everyone had a great time. We walked away with a nice few grand each. And so, you know, I just thought to myself, you know something, it's enjoyable to promote. Everyone's having a good time, you know, and if we get a couple of good at the end of it, fantastic. And then it just went on from there. And then more pros were leaving who used to work for me in the pros. They were leaving the pros and coming to fight me in, on the unlicensed scene. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and it was just crazy. But one thing I did do was a little bit of a, a game changer, really. It was a, up until then, the unlicensed shows, what were, there weren't that many going on then, Steve. There was only about three or four, four promoters. Mortlocks were doing a couple. Ricky was doing a couple. And there weren't many going on. And, uh, but what they were still happening was they, they were still real raw and didn't you know what I mean. And Ed Butts going, you know, there was a lot of that crap went on when we was doing it. But what I did do is I brought a lot of the pro professionalism from my pro promotions. I brought it to the unlicensed. and started running the shows in the background like the professionals. To, you know, two doctors, you know, proper paramedics, you, you know, uh, advertising proper, do you know what I mean? You know, from what I learned in the professionals that promote a show, I brought that over. And, um, you know, usually I'd have, when, when I'd have a couple of drinks at the show, and once the show was started, we did a few naughty things, but you know what I mean? But, you, you, you know, but it, it was it was different. It was, was a little bit different what we was doing and what was going on before it, you know? You know, even like the ring card girls with Wendy, no one had that before us, you know? I said to Wendy, you know, I want you to form a group of girls. So, you know, and Wendy had like, she created the mean girls and there was like 10 to 15 girls used to walk all the fighters into the ring and, and then we used to have girls lap dancing in the middle of the ring in the interval and, you know, picking fellas out of the crowd and putting him in the stage, you know what I mean? You know, so we did a few naughty things but we also done some good things, you know, with it. Yeah, did. great, great times, great memories and of course you had you know, a lot of, you know, back in the day when, when, when a lot of them were still with us, you had a lot of the famous faces at ringside. You had, you know, you had the likes of Freddie Foreman, you had the Richardson brothers, Eddie and uh, Charlie at times. You had your dad there, of course, Roy Shaw, uh, Dave Courtney, um, you know, Howard Marks, you, you name it, Carlton Leach. I mean, the names, the names are endless. Everybody used to come to those shows. The Wee Man a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, the Wee Man as well. Yeah, I mean, they were, it was just... That was half the attraction, I think, as well, for a lot of the people who were just going. They were going for the boxing and maybe to support the mate. But the, mm. it was starting to get to that era as well where people were starting to write books about their past and mm. people wanted to get a photograph with those people. Yeah, of course it was, mate. It, you know, it was... You know, it was great. The atmosphere was fantastic. Mm. You know, the atmosphere of the shows was brilliant. You know, it's funny, I was looking at a picture the other day and, it was, you know, and someone sent me a picture. 
the faces on the stage, it was, you know, I put a thing up the other day, you know, the old Bill would have thrown a bomb in there that night, they would have wiped out crime for the next 12 months, you know what I mean? It, you know, it, it was unbelievable. And, um, and it was, you know, you had young kids off the manor around Mitchum and Tootin and all that, and they're like 16, 17, they're sitting next to like Freddie and Charlie and, you know, and Tony Lamb and, you, you know, my dad and all these people, you know, they're sitting next to them all. And, um, and I was sitting there getting pictures done with them and all the chaps, you know what I mean? Always accommodated, you know, someone come up and ask for a picture, they always said, yeah. And then, yeah. and it was, it, you know, it made it, you know, and then we started doing the belts then, didn't we? We started doing the car, bloody hell, you know, if we'd done one, uh, you know, we was doing the belts, the Joe Powell belt, the Roy Shaw belt, the Tony Lambiano belt, uh, Charlie Breaker belt, you know what I mean? You, you know, and we started doing the belts and then getting the boys up in the ring to, to, to present the belts and and everything. So, you know, that all added to the atmosphere, didn't it? You, you know, you was there yourself, Steve, so, you, you know. Tell us, tell, us, tell us about the governor, then, the, the governor title, because there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff put out there online, uh, a, lot of, a lot on social media, uh, and a lot of it quite misleading. The, the governor title, I know, is something very close to to your heart and something that you know about. Tell, tell us, who is the real governor? Well, it, 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 you know, I mean, I'll go into it in depth in the book. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's a question which needs a long answer. Mm-hmm. So I've done it in the book, but I'll break it down to you as best I can. It was, Roy and Lenny never ever boxed with a governor tile. Right. You know, never, there was never no such thing as a governor tile. You, you know, they box the national NBC title or the, un, the un, was it the um, unofficial heavyweight championship of Great Britain. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the word the governor comes from a, a London term, which is like, you, you, you know, um, you know, he's the governor, he's, he's the top boy, he's, he's, he's the toughest one, you know. You know, Lenny said it and, and uh, when Lenny said it in an interview, he's probably, you know, he, he probably the way he meant it, he's like, I'll be his governor, don't worry about that. That's, that's how he meant it. But obviously it comes... It come into like the newspapers with Roy. Yeah. The newspapers, one newspaper published the thing, who, who's the governor, or, and all that, and and then it came, then it it, it it became a term attached to the boxing to who the winner was. But it was never actually announced in the ring for the governor title. Um, otherwise, you know, you'd have looked at Cliffy Fields would have been the governor afterwards. And, you know, he would, he would have ended up having a governor belt, wouldn't he? Or all these millions of belts, what's supposed to be floating about. You know, Cliffy Fields would have walked away with one. Um, after Roy and Len, to be, I think, after the third fight, unlicensed boxing just went, you know, Roy and Len, Roy went off to fought Kevin Paddock and Lou Yates. Lenny got beat twice by Cliffy Field and then Johnny Waldron. Uh, had a couple of fights against Bradshaw and 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 the other and the other fella, but the, the, you know there was none of that excitement of Roy Shaw and Lenny McLean. That that had all gone tonight, I mean. Uh, so boxing went, and then when we started putting the shows on in early two thousands, me and Mickey, we was putting fights on, and 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 they was for like the the EBF British Heavyweight Title, or the, the you know that was that sanctioning thing. Yeah, and it was never billed as a governor title. Sven Aimer when started winning them, and and then all of a sudden, as the interviews started going on, and uh, and then Ricky would get in the ring, we'd go like, right, this is for the governor. Come, who wants to be the governor? And all of a sudden, the governor title, which just evolved. Yeah, 
the actual title, the belt we're talking about, the actual evolved and evolved around that. You know, we actually added, you know, we used to call Dem Palmer, who was a suit middleweight. We'd say he's the governor of the middleweights. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it was like, it was like a thing like that. But then it evolved. And then, you know, people saying, oh, fighting for the governor title. And then we got, you know, we used to get Roy Shaw. You know, the first belt was the Roy Shaw belt. It was the Roy Shaw heavyweight title. And with Roy's blessing. So, you know, of course, people thought of that. And then all of a sudden you had the documentaries and the Facebook area come in. And the Facebook area really built all this, all this up. You know what I mean? You know, that's what made everything, built it all up. And, uh, but... You know, in the book, I go into details on the fights, all the fights, what happened. Um, you, you know, there were some good fighters, some good fighters we, we had. Um, you know, people like Sven and people like uh, Joe Cax and people like that. And they were, they were good fighters. But in the unlicensed games are funny games, Steve, as you know yourself. You can have a pub fighter fighting an ex-professional. Mm-hmm. Now, the ex-professional's got a hell of a fucking advantage, mate. Do you know what I mean? And those just the same things with people like Cliffy Field and Johnny Waldron started coming into the game. You know, these were ex, ex-pros. They'd been fighting amateur as a kid. Probably had 100 fights as an amateur. You, you know, fighting for sub area heavyweight titles and, and stuff. You know what I mean? You, you know, they're entitled to beat the Royce Shores and the Lenny McLeans. You know what I mean? You know, Lenny, Lenny didn't box pro. Just a big, powerful man. But, you know, anyone who who's, knows his way round the, round, round the ring, as long as he stays out of the way of the right hands, it should be him. So, you know, that was when that was the difference with the unlicensed game. You start, you know, you've got your fighters like Lenny's and Roy's and tough guys, and then you've got your ex, your ex pros. Now, your ex pros should beat them guys. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's difficult. But the governor title, we've got to bring it back in 21 anyway. Yeah. We're going to bring it back in 2021 once all this cobblers is over. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, good stuff. Now, this book that you're writing, tell us a little bit about that. Well, they, they, they always wanted to do this book, Steve. Always wanted to do it. Because I always wanted to... There's a lot of people in it, I feel like, should be acknowledged. Should be acknowledged and things what they've done should be remembered. Um, it was always in the back of my mind to do... Over the last year, with a few little stupid things what have been going on, which winding me up, you, you know, I thought to myself, well, all right, yeah, well, I'll do it, you, you know. And... I still don't know what one I'm going to go with. Here. I've still got a few things to write in there. And, uh, you, you know, I respect any man who gets in the ring and fights. But, you, you know, some things are, are just, it's just some things which I've just seen going around, which I'm just like, it, 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 do you know what I mean? It's just bollocks. It's just complete rubbish. And so, like, you know, one side of me was like, wanted to do that. And then, you know, one side was like, right, fuck it, I'll tell you what, I'll open Pandora's box. You can all fucking read what happened. <laughs> you know, but then the other side of me is like, right, you know, I don't want to argue with no one, Steve. I don't want to cause no bad blood with anyone, you know what I mean? I respect everyone who boxed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Good luck to everyone, mate. You know, but I'm going to write a book and, I, you know, I'm, the book's half done. It's not, you know, you know if, if someone's not with us, there's no way I'm going to say anything bad against them. They can't defend themselves. Roy's, Lenny's, Alex, and my dad, do you know what I mean? The book praises them. Of course it praises them. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing I'm, I'm going to say anything. Now, I'm going to give my opinions. Mm-hmm. Things. Yeah. Give my opinion. There's a couple of things there about the, about the gloves and stuff like that, you, you know, which I know. And a couple of other bits and bobs, what, what I'll put in there, and a couple of other fights which should have been made, what weren't made. Mm-hmm. So, I'll do, you know, I'll do that. But, 
but I don't know how far to go with it yet. I ain't made my mind up. So, yeah. see if anyone winds me up a little bit. People can follow you on Facebook and Twitter, obviously, they can keep an eye out about the book. Um, I've got to ask you about a film about your dad as well. I mean, we see so many films made these days about that era. There's been so many films made about mm. the Twins and, you know, the Lenny McLean films out there now. And, you know... I know it's something which will be close to your heart. You know, is that something that you're still pressing, pressing towards, and hoping to get out there one day? Uh, yeah, yeah, one, maybe one day, Steve. But, uh, but you know, you know, we we we've, we've got the scripts, we have got the the treatments, we have got everything. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I've been down that road so many times when I was living in Los Angeles. I'm sat there, drunk sh- champagne with people, shook hands. It's right. The money's being transferred next next month on the on the second, next month on the second. Don't you know? What I mean, there's no money, and you know it's heartbreaking. And you know, and then I've had people come to you and they go like, uh, "I would do the film, Joe, but we, you know, we only we're only going to put this amount of money in." And I'm like, "No, I ain't doing that. You know, there's no way. You know, there's not. I've always said it from day one. I won't make the film. Do you know what I mean? It's not a bit. It's, you know, unless the budget that is there, and and I'm not talking that on a money side for me or anyone else. I'm talking because with a good budget, you can do a good film. So now you can do a good film. You, you you know, the film how I see it and how I'd like it to be. Yeah. And um, so the, you know, the money's got to be there. You, you know, even like you know, you see some films and and. You, you you know you're in the film game. You know yourself. Like film, you know, to put songs in the films costs money. Yeah, you, you know, my dad's book is going to go from the thirties to to up to the to the bloody well, it, well, the script what we done it went up to the seventies. Yeah, and then it left room for the eighties and nineties if you wanted to. But, but uh, you, you you know, so there's a lot of songs in you know what I mean. Want to put in that film? You, you know, you want they cost money. You know, I mean, it costs a lot of money. You know what I mean? Cameo appearances and stuff like that. And, um, but I won't do the. I won't. I just won't do it. I'm not going to do the film. Like, and I'm not naming the films or nothing like that. But there ain't many British gangster films I've seen which I've actually. You, you know, you ask anyone what's your favourite gangster films, they go Scarface, Goodfellas, The Godfather, yeah. to the Casino. Do you know what I mean? They all had big budgets. And you, you know, mm-hmm. you know, no one's going to say this, that, and you know, I just I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I couldn't do it unless it's right. You know what I mean, bro? Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe one day, maybe one day, things change and we'll see what happens with it. But it's, it's, it's not one priority at the moment, mate. Yeah, that's fair enough, mate. That's fair enough. Listen, Joe, it's been fascinating getting a little bit of an insight into your life. As I say, people can find you on Facebook and on Twitter if they want to find out a little bit more about the book. Good luck with it, mate. I know it's hard putting your, putting your thoughts down, but I'm sure it'll be a big success. Joe, um, any, yeah. anything else you want to talk about? Or are you happy? No, it's, I'd say the book's been. I've enjoyed the book. It's been. A, it's been. A, it's been a little bit of a journey, Steve. It's, it's. It's been. You know, emotional. It's made me feel a bit emotional. It's brought back some good memories. Uh, even a bit of pride, to tell the truth, in some of the things. Well, you know, with some of the guys of. Uh, I've asked a few of the boxers to write like testimonials and stuff, and like well, some of the boxers have said, you know, what I mean, if it weren't for boxing with you Joe you know their life's might have went on a different path type of thing and you know that's good and, and it's funny though because when I've been sitting there writing there's an old saying it will say about uh, promoters and all that and people go oh boxing they go like oh he's forgotten more than what you know do you know when they talk to someone do you know what I mean and I'll actually sit there and I go fuck it now the things I forgot Steve do you know what I mean it's like people now reminding me 
you, you know, but the, the actual things I've actually forgotten, you, you know, you, the amount of fights we've had, I probably, you know, I had put on over a thousand fights, yeah. individual fights and over the space of the years. That's a, that's a thousand, two thousand fighters or whatever. Do you know what I mean? A lot of them the same boxed again, but you look at it, you know, people have contacted me going, Joe, I used to box you. And I'm going, oh, did you? You know, I mean, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and then, then you know, so it's, it's been funny. I've enjoyed doing it. I've enjoyed doing it, and I, I, and if, if it weren't for lockdown, I don't think I would have done it. Yeah. To tell the truth, you know what I mean. But you can't go to the pub, can you? You can't go to the restaurants. We can now, but but in that in that time, so I just sat there and had a couple of bought a couple of beers in the off license and cracked up, had a drink and got writing. <laughs> yeah. As things with you though, anyway, so we're going good. All going well, mate. Yeah, it's just yeah. like you say, lockdown's been a productive time. You know, just getting getting everybody to, uh, to to do these kind of things has been beneficial. I think it's helped a lot of people who've been yeah. locked down as well. So, you know, yeah, all all good, mate. And um, you know, looking forward to getting down to London soon and uh, catching up with you and all the lads. Mm. All right, yeah, no, it'd be good. It'd be good, mate. Well, Joe, thanks for your time, mate, and um, we'll bring the interview to a close. Thanks very much, mate. All right, God bless, mate. I'll see you soon. All right, stay. Thank you.